in the coveting guidance of the seasons, as it is taught by sacred literature, the turning of moldering and fertility embraces us, her celebrants, and we are taken by suddenness, by adventure, by intentions that we must feel overwhelmed. The man who must wander, the woman who must escape, the child who must hide, the flower that grows or dies, the rain falling, the snows melting, all the shriveling and burgeoning, the lush or desiccated, the frail or lustful, bursts and breathless goes and goes on. Somebody's gone, gone, gone. Somebody's gone, gone, gone. Every time I look around, somebody's gone that was here last year. Look in my home, somebody's gone. Look in the church, somebody's gone. Every time I look around, somebody's gone that will heal as ye. Badger State Banner, 2 July 1891. Mrs. John Larson, wife of a farmer living in the town of Troy, drowned her three children in Lake St. Croix during a fit of insanity. Her husband, on finding her absent from the house, began a search and found her on the lake shore. Two of her children lying in the sand, dead. The third could not be found. Mrs. Larson imagines that devils pursue her. Look at my friends, somebody's gone. Look in the church. Somebody's gone. Every time I look around, somebody's gone. That will heal as ye. Look at my friends. Somebody's gone. Look in the street. Somebody's gone. Every time I look around, somebody's gone. That was heal as ye. The Berry Girls and Their Cookie Kids The Berry Girls, Rose and Sally, lived with their father, who was the only blacksmith in this sparsely peopled place. Their mother had run off with the peddler, and they did not know what had happened to her. Their father, the blacksmiths, must know, they supposed, but they did not ask him to tell them any more, because once when they did, after asking him repeatedly and so often, he picked up the cat and threw it against the kitchen wall and killed it. They did not want that to happen again. The Berry girls were good cooks, though Rose was too young to be a wife or mother, and Sally was younger still by half again. Truly, the girls were better cooks than their mother, and especially, they were very good bakers. 
The Berry Girls made the best cookies in the county, and maybe the best in the territory. None in their little family missed the real mother, or wife, very much on account of cooking or housekeeping. But the hurt of her departure still affected them, and sometimes, when alone in bed at night, each one stared at their ceilings, into the emptiness, into the depthless, empty darkness above them before falling asleep. The morning of the day of this story, their father had lugged an anvil to his buckboard and taken horseshoes that he had made and told his girls he would be home late. He was the farrier to the county as well as its only blacksmith, and summer had worn itself to a fray, and soon the teams must go to the harvest, such as it may be. And many shoes were thin or thrown, and many needed him. Rose said, I'll have dinner ready, Daddy. And he leaned and kissed her forehead and thanked her, and got on the buckboard, and holding each other's hands, the Berry girls watched him leave. Rose suggested, let's make some cookies. It was their favorite pastime, and ironically it had been their delight to give them to the peddler, who had taken their mother away. And the act of making them, like a rite or a prayer, seemed like means to restore the time before the time of all that had occurred, though, of course, nothing did return to what had been. Still, it comforted them to bake cookies. Rose told Sally that she herself would make the girl cookies, she always did, and told Sally to make the boy cookies. Sally was always happy to do what Rose wanted her to do, especially so since her mother left. Since their mother had gone every night alone in her own bed, as she lay beneath the depthless, empty darkness of the ceiling, looking into it, feeling herself begin to fall weightlessly into it, Sally would get up and get into bed with her sister, and so they embraced one another and comforted one another as they slept. There are two mysteries. First, there is the mystery of permanence. Then there is the mystery of impermanence. First, there is the mystery of how things have always existed before they occur. Then there is the mystery of how things come to coincide and so occur. For their parents had been before them, always married, always together. And from them each was born, intentionally created like these cookies that they made. Both of them chosen to be girls. Both of them named individually and purposefully. And now, by accident, by wind, by something like a sickness or like a broken dish, they were not together. And it was wrong. It was strange. What had been rightly and perfectly as it should be, and as it had always been, is now wrong, strange, broken. And day to day the girls felt you could not trust what might occur, that 
father might leave and not return, that one of them might die, that some morning they might go outside and birds might start falling dead in mid-flight and drop dead to the ground in their yard. Sally, the youngest of the girls, always took the task of the stove. She filled the wood box while her sister put on one of her mother's aprons and got out the ingredients for the cookies that they would bake. Sally built a nest of tinder to start the stove while her sister got out the bowls and spoons. Sally carefully set logs upon the flames as her sister measured and compiled the ingredients. Sugar in a brick, cinnamon in a stick, and star anise had been bought from the peddler. Today they would use the last cinnamon stick and the last star anise. The cinnamon would be for the girl cookies, and the anise would spice up the boy cookies. Rose decided that since they did not have much butter left, and Daddy likes the butter for his potatoes, they would save that and skim the cream off the milk pail from the morning milkings and use that instead in the cookies. The milk was still warm from the inside of the cow, but it had set long enough, and she had made such rich milk that her cream had separated, was thick on the top, and using the sipping ladle from the sink, Rose nursed the best of it from the top into the cup of the ladle and picked out hairs and bugs and dirt and added it to the heap of flour and sugar. Rose mixed it with the spoon. Sally got up on a kitchen chair and stood watching her sister, looking down into the bowl as she added a little more cream. Rose mixed it again. She added a little more flour she tasted it. She added a little more sugar. Then she divided the dough evenly into halves and put half in another bowl. Then she went to the counter by the sink where her mother kept the stone mortar and pestle. Sally jumped off the chair and peered over the kitchen counter to watch. And she put the last cinnamon stick into the mortar and pounded it into bits and grinded it into powder. Then, using both hands, she carried the stone mortar to her bowl and poured it over her portion of the cookie dough, Sally following her every move. Then Rose took the mortar back to the counter and put the last star anise into it and pounded it into bits and ground it into powder and then took that and poured it into Sally's bowl. Sally, standing on the kitchen chair, bent over her bowl and kneaded the ground star anise into her dough. Rose stood beside her and kneaded her dough. Not too much, warned Rose, for she knew that too much kneading would make the cookies tough. She poured a little more cream into both of the bowls, and both of them had milky fingers for a moment as they worked the cream in. That's enough, said Rose as she looked into Sally's bowl. She wiped her hands on her mother's apron, and Sally lifted a corner and wiped her hands on it, too. Let it set a bit, she said, taking off her mother's apron and laying it over the back of the chair. 
Sally jumped off the chair and followed Rose into the main room and sat on the floor as Rose took the family Bible off the marble-topped table that stood against the wall and sat down in her mother's rocker with the Bible on her lap. Rose read from the Bible out loud, as her mother had always done, after covering the bread dough and letting it rise. While Sally sat on the floor before her, Rose read the same passage that her mother often read to them while rocking, as they used to wait with their mother for her bread to rise. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down and hasteth to the place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about into the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new? It hath been already of old time, which was before us. There is no remembrance of former things, neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are to come, with those that shall come after. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this is also vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. How this wisdom may be understood by Rose or Sally is as something that is felt more than something comprehended, as something of sounds like music or voices murmuring in another room or wind in trees, more than words in a set of articulate belief. How this is to be understood is by the look upon their mother's face when she read it, and the discovery of her absence, and the remembrance of the aroma of her hair. How else shall any wisdom ever be understood? Certainly, said Rose, closing the Bible, our dough must be ready now. Sally smiled and jumped up, and before Rose could put away the Bible, she was back standing upon the kitchen chair and ready to make the cookies. Rose checked upon the stove when she came in and saw that the logs had settled to glowing ash-laced embers 
and putting her hand briefly into the oven was satisfied that the temperature, though now a bit too hot, would be just right when they were ready to bake the cookies. She put two cookie pans upon the kitchen table and told Sally, you make the boy cookies and I will make the girl cookies. This is always the way they did it, but Sally always waited for Rose to tell her what to do, and she nodded when she was told. Boy cookies and girl cookies look exactly alike, the way that they made them, but just had the difference of their spice, and that Rose, being more skillful, made her cookies more perfectly, with more elegantly proportional limbs and head. Sally's boys were sometimes fat, sometimes skinny, sometimes tall, sometimes short. Some legs were different than their mates, some arms a little lumpy. But as they were all meant to be eaten, it did not matter at all, and they all tasted delicious no matter how they looked. Rose, in fact, liked the misshapen boys, and liked the taste of anise, while Sally delighted in sitting on the porch after baking and dipping a warm girl cookie into a glass of cool milk. She liked the cinnamon cookie best. They made the cookies quietly together. Rose made hers meticulously. Sally, with her tongue stuck out, made hers as carefully as she could, but still clumsily. Rose finished hers first and put them in the oven as Sally finished hers. When Sally finished hers, she stood up straight on the kitchen chair and admired her cookies, and she turned to Rose to comment upon them, and she saw a spot of blood between her feet, barefoot as she was, barefoot as both of them usually went, a drop of blood upon her bare foot, red as is a rose red, glistening as syrup glistens. It had come from between her legs, and Sally said, Rose, you're bleeding. Rose looked down at her feet when she saw where Sally was looking, and Sally said, What's wrong with you, Rose? So, while Sally watched her, afraid for her, Rose unbuttoned the front of her dress and removed it and let it drop to the floor and said, Oh no, Sally, oh no. Sally also saw what Rose saw. A wet blood bloom spread at the crotch of her pantaloons. Rose untied the string of her pantaloons and let these fall to the floor and both of them saw the blood appearing like a wound from between her legs, blood on the insides of her thighs. Sally said, What is it, Rose? I don't know, Rose said. She touched herself there, and her fingers became bloody, and she looked up and said to Sally, I think I'm dying. Rose reached out for Sally, and seeing her bloody fingers coming toward her, Sally recoiled. She was not so much afraid as she was averse, but in her startle she was unbalanced where she stood, and so she fell backwards off the chair, kicking the chair out from under her, and fell backwards onto the floor, 
knocking the back of her skull against the steel leg of the stove. Rose reached for her in the moment of her fall, and her fingers brushed Sally's neck and so smeared blood across her neck, and it looked as though she had cut her neck with a knife, as though she had slit her throat. Sally's eyes were closed, and her throat had blood across it, and Rose did not know what to think, what had happened, or what to do. Rose looked at Sally's peaceful face, and then at her own genitals as she crouched beside her. The labia of her genitals glistened with blood. She put her fingers between them, and blood oozed over her fingers. She thought of the picture in the family Bible. In the picture, Christ is upon the cross. Christ is naked as she is, and he is dead, or he is dying. And Longinus has knifed him with his spear, and blood spurts from the lips of the wound. Blood spurts from the lips of the wound in an arc and into a cup held by a small, hovering, smiling, winged angel. Advent, she thought. Sacral flow. Blood of the Lamb, God's wound. The instant revelation stunned her, but had no meaning, no reference, no words, no symbols. It stood for itself, inarticulate, incoherent, absolutely silently true. For there are three mysteries. There is the mystery of permanence. There is the mystery of impermanence. And there is also this mystery, the two mysteries in one. That is, there is the mystery of the union of the two, how the two conjoin, how presently in one birth there are ovum bearing future births, how in time nothing shall not be done, how by inevitable accident, how by necessary conjunction, all precedes all, dormant in the dream of what has been for what shall be. You killed her, accused a boy cookie. Mother is dead, cried one to another. No, dismayed another. Rose stood up and the cookies looked at her and repeated their anxious accusations and confusion. So Rose pushed a finger into the stomach of one of them and made a hole in it, and it got some of her blood on itself from her finger. Ooh, moaned the cookie. Then the cookie shouted, Look, look, she's killed her children too. And Rose turned and realized that the girl cookies had all been baked to death, and she opened the oven and saw they were burnt. So she began to cry. She looked at Sally on the floor and cried, and the boy cookies called her murderer, murderer. So she turned to the table and hit them with both her fists. She hit them all. She smashed them, squashed them, broke them with pummeling fists, and killed every one. Then she heard her mother singing in the bedroom. Mother? she asked. And naked she went to her parents' bedroom looking for the one who had been singing. 
but she found no one in the room. Her parents' bed was unkempt. It wore the same sheets that it had the day that her mother had left. The quilt, a wedding ring quilt her father's mother had made, lay heaped upon the floor at the foot of it, tossed off by her restless father in the summer heat. The sheets were disarrayed. Rose felt, or thought she felt, the trickling of the blood from out of her body down the inside of her legs, and she saw it and said, Oh, Mama, why? And she put her fingers into it as though to staunch it, but blood oozed upon them like a festering, and she wiped it on her pubis and upon the tops of her thighs. She made a circle of blood upon her stomach, about her navel, and fascinated, she wet her fingers with more blood, and rubbed it into her nipples, and smelled her blood, and marked one of her cheeks with two fingers of blood. She turned and looked into the mirror of the dressing table where her mother had sat so often to pin up her hair. She saw herself naked there, anointed with her own blood, and saw herself as one who must be ready to die, as one not more alive than at this moment, as one thrilled and aching with life, but doomed, dead already. She saw glimmering edges on things, the oval mirror, the frame on which it was tilted, her mother's hairbrush, the few strands of her mother's hair and her hairbrush. She anointed the handle of the hairbrush with her blood, she anointed the mirror, the image of herself on the mirror, with her blood. She went to her parents' bed and she looked down upon it, the tangled top sheet and the bedraggled bottom, and she anointed the sheet with her blood. She made upon it a sign of a cross and then she crossed that cross with a smaller cross. And then she marked her other cheek with two fingers of blood and marked her forehead with two fingers of blood and went into the main room and anointed the rocking chair with blood and the Bible with blood and the table on which the Bible was set. She anointed it also with her blood. When she got back to the kitchen, she saw that Sally was gone. And she thought to herself that she has been taken into heaven that she had ascended to heaven like Mary, like Jesus. She thought, this must be the rapture now. And so she went into the farmyard naked and looked up at the sky. And that is how her father found her, Sally beside him. <laughs>